It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We are back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. I'm your host, Brendan Clean. I cover the Suns and the NBA at SB Nation as well as Dime Magazine. I am a credentialed media member bringing you this show every single day. It is draft day. It is draft night, more accurately. And the Suns did not ultimately make a pick. A weird night that began with the Suns having just the 29th pick after so many years of this being our Super Bowl here as Suns fans and followers, was was looking weird. And it ended with the Suns trading that pick for Landry Shamit of the Brooklyn Nets. I'll dive into every angle of that trade, as well as some of my other takeaways from the NBA draft here in 2021. First, today's show is brought to you by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. Okay, so again, Suns enter tonight with no second round picks and the 29th overall pick in the first round. I guess I should say they enter the day with that because about 11 noon or so, maybe later than that, the Suns reportedly trade pick 29 as well as Javon Carter for Landry Shamit, who many Suns fans will remember because he was on our Um, radars for the 16th pick in 2018, back when the Suns had that Miami Heat pick. They eventually trade it for Mikhail Bridges. Landry Shamit goes to the Sixers. Then he gets traded to the Clippers in the Tobias Harris deal, and then eventually traded last offseason in the Luke Kennard trade. He was not able to be much of a part of the Nets rotation last season, but is still a promising young player, just 24 he also has just one year left on his contract, $3.8 million next season, whereas Javon Carter makes $3.6 million next season and $3.9 million next season, the, the following season, so one fewer on Shamit's contract. I'm going to tell you why this trade will make the Suns better this year, because that's first and foremost. It's true. I think this helps them. I think Shamit can play. I think he'll be helpful. And I'll tell you next segment why... What this trade tells us about the Suns' window, how they're viewing their window, and it has a lot to do with some of this contract stuff, so I'll get into that. And then I'll close out the show with some other tidbits from other parts of the draft, why the Lakers' trade doesn't scare me very much and might actually make me optimistic that LeBron and co. are, again, due to be a little bit weaker. So we'll we'll, we'll hit around the league to close the show, but the big highlight is this Landry Shamit trade. Those are sort of the specifics of the contracts and the trade itself. Shamit, though, again, just 24 years old. He's listed at 6'5", 190. So bigger and longer than Carter, bigger and longer than 
links in Galloway, of course, and honestly fairly similar from a physical standpoint measurement-wise to Etwan Moore. He's not as big or strong as Moore, but a guy who, you know, in a pinch can play on the wing as a two or a three, depending on who he's on the floor with, the guys he's playing against, but but has that length and, and bigger body in addition to the highlight, which is the shooting. 40% three-point shooter. Almost every single shot that he takes is a three. I think it was about 70% of his shots last season were threes. He's been up and down, but when he's gotten a full season and a, and a normal, regular um, time to, to settle in with the team, he's been a pretty good finisher at the rim. He is not so much, though, of a defender that you want locking down one-on-one. But I think he can survive. Like the Suns have shown that they can make players look better, whether that's Cameron Johnson or Devin Booker or even Cameron Payne, based on the way that they play defense, the IQ, the way that they've gotten coached up. And obviously, Shamit has good length. I believe his wingspan is something like, I don't know, in 6'8 plus, I'll say. And all of that is still there for him. He had a down season last year. He wasn't able to catch on with Steve Nash's overall um, sort of, I guess, just what they needed because they had so much scoring from their stars. They had shooting from guys like Joe Harris, and they were really just looking for specialists with the rest, mostly defense. Blake Griffin really was brought in as sort of a rebounder and and defender more more so than anything. Um, Bruce Brown... DeAndre Jordan even, Nicholas Claxton, Timothy Luau-Cabarro, those guys were all there basically to defend and help the Stars. I think Shamit could have fit into that, but for whatever reason, he did not. He shot just 41% from the field overall, did stay pretty solid from deep, but just didn't get the run that you would have expected, and that's obviously why Brooklyn's moving on. But I think he will make the Suns better. Again, to repeat that, I think that he has so much of what he still what still made me excited about him back in 2018. He was a player I think I had as a lottery pick back when I was really doing my extensive homework on the draft. 2018 and 2019, I was on it and and he was a guy I really liked. For the Suns and just in general, I thought the Sixers made an awesome selection there. I thought it was he was really like the crown jewel of the Tobias Harris trade. This is a player whose value has really really fallen when you combine the fact that right away the reporting was coming out, which is obviously being fed to them by someone either with the Suns or Shamit's agent, that Monty Williams has a relationship with him. I think Kellen Olsen dug up a, a, a quote, a tweet from earlier in the season when Monty was asked about Landry Shamit. Again, they were together in Philadelphia for a bit. Um, and I think Monty's quote was basically that he, Shamit is such a good man, a good person that it's the type of person that Monty would want his daughters to marry. I mean, that is very high praise. So all of that said, this seems like a situation in which he can unlock the potential that was starting to flash in Philadelphia and wasn't able to come out in with the Clippers or the Nets. There's playmaking upside. I think if you think back to when he was at Wichita State, this is a player who was effectively the point guard. They had a lot of ball handling and playmaking on the floor at every position, but he was the guy who would initiate the offense, who would give up the ball, and was very instinctive about, you know, I'm going to dish it off, and then I'm going to sprint to my spot. I'm going to sprint around a screen. I'm going to create 
openings and advantages offensively by moving without the ball, by being a smart passer, if not an elite sort of physical specimen as a passer. He's not going to be whipping the ball around the floor, his vision and all of that. He's not Trey Young, but he's a smart enough playmaker where if he's out there as the guy running things for you, you feel okay about that. That's going to help for the Suns, but I also think it could lead to potentially some more development in that area of his game. But he's not a replacement for a campaign. He's he's a replacement, once again, for Carter, for Moore, and for Galloway. And I think the reality is he could just be damaged goods. Last year was weird for him. There's all of those extra parts to his game. He's a good fit here. He has the relationship with Monty Williams. And again, he is a little bit of a playmaker, but the great part of this acquisition is that he can play with Paul, with Payne, with Booker, any combination of those guys. This is another piece of a backcourt rotation when the reality is Carter, Galloway, and more, it was just a turnstile last year. It was who's going to play tonight, who's going to play this week, who's going to play next week, and none of them were in the rotation come playoff time. So Shamit has the ability to get into that playoff rotation. He has the versatility to play in all types of lineups. He has potential on both ends. The Suns will be better next season for making this trade. That's the bottom line. We'll get into what that tells us about how the Suns view their window with this group in just a second. But first, let's take one quick break. Hey guys, it's Walker Mail, host of the Locked On Hornets podcast. And being around sports media and a fan of the Hornets for a lifetime has taught me that sometimes it's exploring the sliding doors moments and what-if scenarios in sports that can be the best part of the fan experience. What if the Seahawks let Marshawn run on the one-yard line with the Super Bowl on the line? Or could a coin flip actually have landed Magic in Chicago, Michael in L.A., and made Charles Barkley the first black president? Enter Wondery's newest sports show, Alternate Routes, a weekly leap into the sports multiverse with former Sports Center anchors Trey Wingo and Kevin Frazier. Each week on the podcast, Trey and Kevin will pry open the sliding doors of a different what-if moment from the world of sports. In these alternate sports realities, dynasties will fall, legacies will change forever, new goats will emerge. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcast. You can listen to Alternate Routes early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. So the big issue with this deal, if you want to nitpick from a Suns perspective, the great part, as I just got done talking about in that last segment, is the Suns are going to be better. They're going to get a player in Shamit who's ready to play, who can fit into what they do and has a, the opportunity to get better and get some steadiness underneath of him first for the first time in a while. But the net, the nitpick is the long-term flexibility piece because what it tells me is that the Suns really see next season as their, their best chance to go all in the version of all in that they go, we'll see what that looks like. Again, free agency has has not even begun. But let me tell you what I mean by this. So he's a restricted free agent. I said that. It makes sense. He was drafted the same year as Bridges and Aiton. Those both both of those guys are entering restricted free agency after this upcoming season. So when his contract ends, he will be a restricted free agent. Unless the Suns were to extend him, which is a possibility. Similar to Bridges and Aiton, he's now eligible after completing his third season. That technically that couldn't technically be done until the league year begins, but those types of things can start to come out. They're usually some of the first things to come out, so we'll know soon. I doubt that happens just because of how expensive this team is about to get, which is exactly where 
the one-year next season big-time window starts to come into play. So we're already talking about the tax and the team getting expensive, right? Shamit, at the end of the day, is a luxury. He's probably the ninth or tenth man on this team. You assume they get another big man who can play. Dario Saric is still around, even if he's not healthy now by next year's playoffs. That's a piece. Cameron Johnson campaign. The bench is still going to be there. Most of this roster is going to be coming back. So Shamit, despite being an optimistic addition, he is a luxury. And he carries an $11.3 million qualifying offer. That is the the hold that will be on the books while the Suns potentially negotiate an offer sheet with him, a, a new contract with him in restricted free agency. So even best case scenario, let's say Shamit fits very well here. The shot continues, maybe even gets better. He's able to do a little more on offense. He survives on defense. The Suns scheme helps him there. The relationship with Monty has a similar impact that it had on Cameron Payne, and he comes here and blossoms. Well, the reward for all of that, the reward for giving up the 29th pick and having this this career year from Landry Shamit, if we're just being very rosy about things, is you get to pay it. You get to pay Landry Shamit a lot of money, likely, because a player who can shoot near 40% has decent enough size and some upside on both sides of the ball is a good player. There's a reason the Suns just traded for him. There's a reason he was the Tobias Harris piece that moved. So... You have to pay him if that happens. I talked about going into the offseason that condensing the Galloway, Carter, and more spots and going into the offseason with a younger, potentially deeper, just in terms of total players, guard rotation could be pretty smart. I don't think Galloway or Moore are really, you know, future types of players. They've they've hit their ceiling. They couldn't crack the rotation this year. Hard to imagine they would have next year. So go younger, get some pieces, get some interesting depth. By rolling with Shamit, they're doing that, right? They're getting a 24-year-old guy who can play more than those guys could and, and everything else, but they're sacrificing one year of team control compared with four. Because if they had drafted Miles McBride, if they had drafted Jared Butler at 29, those guys are effectively cost-controlled on a pretty cheap salary for four seasons. You only get one with Landry Shamit. And If you win a title, that risk pays off. If not, it hurts a little bit more. Because going into next season, again, Shamit, if things go well, and even if they don't, frankly, he's going to be up for, even if they don't go perfectly, but he continues on a similar path to what he's been, very good shooter and inconsistent in the other parts of his game, that's still a guy who's going to, you know, have some interest in, in the league at age 25. But if things go very well, the comp that I could come up with was Seth Curry. But this, this is like now Seth Curry after we've all seen the value that a shooter like him can have, including Curry himself. But this is the type of player that I think Shamit is. Seth Curry has that playmaking to his game. You're not going to put the ball in his hands and, 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 and have him run your offense, but he can make plays. He's good at getting off the ball and moving and using his gravity that way. And, you know, undersized as far as defense goes, but, you know, serviceable enough if you have good pieces around him. Seth Curry was part of the best defense in the NBA this year with Philadelphia and things worked, right? So that's sort of where I am. And and Seth Curry made made $8 million a year, which is basically double Shamit's rookie contract salary. And I would imagine the reality is those things go up over time. Shooting's only getting more valuable. Seth Curry's contract was a steal and the Mavericks were not very smart to give it up. 
it would be more than eight. I think it would be, you know, that qualifying offer is probably on the high end, 11.3, but, you know, some, similar to the numbers we're talking about with campaign, frankly, could be where Shamit ends up. That's expensive. And it means that you're probably looking at losing Landry Shamit, all things considered. You could maybe put a sign-in trade together. There's all these options, but you're getting one year of bona fide, legit, we know we have you control with Shamit versus four with a potential draft pick. That's, the end of the day, that's what happened here. James Jones has never been afraid to lose trades when it comes to value, when it comes to just, you know, Kevin Pelton the next morning on ESPN. This move gets an F or whatever. James Jones never been afraid to do that. He got rid of DeAnthony Melton. He, he bought out Kyle Korver for, you know, whatever reason. He scrapped TJ Warren for cash. These are moves that he is fine making if it makes the team better and gets the culture and the talent and the depth where he wants it. This fits that mold to me. It's not quite as lopsided. The Suns did not get whooped here when it comes to value, but they're probably on the losing side. If you were to just graph it out in terms of this pick has this value, this player has this value, you know, the numbers say this move was probably a little bit short-sighted. But all of that tells me the Suns see 2022 as their best chance for putting together a deep, talented, elite-level team. They're looking like they're going to keep most of the parts involved. Chris Paul, it's looking positive. James Jones echoed the positive sentiments that we heard from Robert Sarver in terms of just confidence that come next week, something will be worked out. When we spoke with him after the draft tonight, their window is going to last as long as Paul stays great. But next season could be their best shot to win a championship based on you don't know how long that's going to last with Paul. And the salary cap is very much setting up for next season to be their best shot to keep guys like Payne, Crowder, Shamit, and others at a low price in a way where all the talent can still be around before you have to start making very dicey decisions about who you're going to pay. Okay, next up, that window is is well fleshed out and the improvement to the roster is well fleshed out. That's all the Landry Shamit thoughts that I have for now. We'll have to map out the rotation and how things stack up going forward in time as next week shapes up and the roster comes into focus. But I wanted to bounce around the league just a bit here to close out the podcast with some other thoughts, especially on the Lakers, who made a very bizarre trade for Russell Westbrook and Make the West look at maybe just a little bit easier heading into 2022. We'll get into all of that in just a second. First, though, folks, a quick word from Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the planet, my favorite protein bar, and the sponsors of our Locked On NBA draft live show today, which was incredible. I watched just about every second of it. It was an awesome second screen. It was an awesome accompaniment to draft Twitter tonight, and they did an awesome job. Built Bar was our wonderful sponsor of that program. You got to see the wonderful wrapping of uh, each of the bars. You got to see how delicious and chewy each one is with the great John Corrales of Locked On Celtics demonstrating how to eat a built Bar. I actually think Chad Ford powered up during the live show a couple of times by eating built Bars on air, not just for promotional reasons, but because he was genuinely hungry and genuinely enjoys them. I can't blame him. They're delicious. My personal favorite, double chocolate. I don't like anything too flavorful, too sweet with my protein, but there's a ton of different options. Cookies and cream, salted caramel, 
strawberry, all sorts of different flavors, but all sorts of delicious flavors. If you haven't tried all of them yet, and some of those sound interesting, you can also get a mix box where you get two of each of the nine flavors for a grand total of 18. So bounce around, see what sounds great to you. Each one is going to have no more than four to five grams of sugar, 180 calories, and it's going to be packed with nearly 20 grams of protein per bar. It's about a scoop of a protein mix, guys, and it tastes way better. So go to built.com, use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order. Try out your favorite once again, or mix it up, get something new. Use the promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Closing out the show with some thoughts on the Suns' first-round opponent in 2021 here, the Los Angeles Lakers. Not only the opponent, but obviously we all like to uh, sneer over at our coastal counterparts. And the Lakers made a very strange trade today. Um, the Buddy Heald rumors began the afternoon, and that made a lot of sense. We already knew the Lakers had been offering, you know, some package of Kuzma, KCP, the 22, the 22nd pick, potentially Montrez Harrell, and Heald made a lot of sense. Uh, a shooter, same reason I thought he made sense for the Suns, frankly. He makes sense for every team. He's a shooter who can create his own threes who can obviously make you some spot-up shots from anywhere on the floor, has decent enough size and strength that he's not going to be killed on defense if he gets into a good program, a winning team. You'd hope that in time, all of that would work itself out. Buddy Heald would have been a great addition to the Lakers. I would have actually been pretty, you know, intimidated by that move if I'm a Suns fan wanting to beat the Lakers. But by the end of the afternoon, Washington swooped in, and effectively cleared their books of the Wall-Westbrook-Albatross by taking that package, the same one, with KCP, Kuzma, and Harrell, and the 22nd pick for Russell Westbrook. And I'm surprised they got the first round pick. Like, I had to, I literally, I'm going to let you guys in here, pause the recording to make sure I had that right, because just saying it back, the Wizards got a first round pick for Russell Westbrook, in addition to some younger players and less intense salaries. Pretty remarkable. But the Lakers side of it is that they're acquiring Russell Westbrook. And the player that Russell Westbrook is now, I just frankly don't think makes much sense there. I think it probably spells the end of Dennis Schroeder's tenure with the Lakers, and and he'll look for a new home. I think the Knicks have been rumored. If you, if you count on Russ to basically be 
your second unit creator, then okay. You know, if, if he basically takes the role of Schroeder, who, you know, by the end of the season was starting, but for all intents and purposes was the this the backup playmaker behind LeBron. That's what he was brought in to do. The idea maybe he can come in and and close games with you depending on what's working, what's not. Obviously, Alex Caruso is also a free agent, as is Taylor Horton Tucker. So the Lakers having a little bit of a of a crisis in terms of retaining all of their playmakers besides LeBron. So I, I get that Russ does a lot of those things, but playing him with LeBron and Anthony Davis is just not in, uh, it's it's not worrying to me if I'm an opponent. It just isn't. Russell Westbrook has not been a three-point shooter that you were scared of really at any point in his career, but especially lately, even going to Houston where he's, you know, has the all the green light in the world, he basically becomes their center on offense. He is able to be guarded by Anthony Davis in the playoffs in the bubble. He has not shot better than 33%, hasn't even made a third of his threes since he was uh, the MVP season in 2016-17. And before that, it was 2011. Those are the two times ever in his career he's made a 33% or more of his threes. We know the decision-making stuff. We know all of it, right? We know that he's going to hijack your offense late in games. It just, none of it, none of it jumps out to me as a LeBron James teammate, somebody that LeBron would want to play with, that LeBron, a LeBron James team would become better by acquiring. None of it makes sense to me. And so I'm optimistic that Russ, I think he's a little bit better than some of the detractors say. But he's not going to play defense for you at a high level. So you're losing that. You're getting rid of KCP and Kuzma, two very good wing defenders. And you're getting back a player who's not going to contribute on that side of the ball ball for you. And even if he even if he's good compared to what he has been, he's not a wing. So you're getting you're you're losing out on that. He's basically, again, more so of the Schroeder mold than anything else. So the, the Lakers don't have KCP, Kuzma, or Danny Green anymore from their championship team. Instead, they have Russ. Even if the best case scenario plays out, let's say Russ makes a few more threes than he ever has. Let's say he's just, again, able to settle into more of a secondary playmaking role. His minutes go down. The Lakers don't have to worry about the salary because it is what it is. You move on from it in time. They've obviously made amends when it comes to that stuff. Even with all of that, it's probably worse than it would have been with Schroeder. It's probably worse than it would have been just keeping Green, KCP, and Kuzma. They won a title with that team. They obviously want to make things easier on LeBron. I get that. But this this is not going to do that. This is not a complimentary piece for how the Lakers play. They already struggle with spacing. They already struggle in the half court. So all of that to say, the Suns have an easier path. That's one team in the West that so far in free agency, has gotten a little bit worse. The Suns, as I opened the show with, have gotten a little bit better. The Warriors, if you want to add them in there, they have not made their big trade. So if you're just watching the dominoes right now, a lot of them are looking positive for the Suns to be able to, if they can get it this done with Chris Paul and Cameron Payne, head into 2022 with as good, if not a better shot at getting it done in the postseason. So 
I just wanted to give my Lakers thoughts. That was the big news of the day. It obviously is relevant. The Suns just played the Lakers. They would likely have to go through them again next season if they want to win a title. So relevant here, and it's just fun to rub dirt into what it is that the Lakers do, especially when it's silly. So there we go. That closes us out today, folks. Russell Westbrook is a Laker. Landry Shamit is a Sun, and we'll have to see how the rest unfolds. If anything happens as far as trades or news on the free agency front over the weekend, I will be back with you for an emergency podcast. Free agency begins Monday at uh, 3 p.m., I believe, is when the moratorium lifts Eastern time, which is 3 p.m., obviously, for all of us here in the Valley. So Monday's show will get you ready for all of that with the latest rumors and buzz. Tuesday's show will recap whatever happens on Monday as free agency begins. We're bound to get some Chris Paul news soon, folks. The wait will not be long. Enjoy your weekend, though. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 